Thanks, Lee. Uh, morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name is Van Cochran. I'm the lead pastor here, and, and I, I just want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time with us. It's awesome to have you here, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a great day. Our guest speaker, George and Banoff, came on Thursday. And uh, we went up to Columbus and picked him up at a conference that uh, he, he was part of there. And very interestingly, there is a conference that he is leading. Uh, it's his organization that is organizing it in the Columbus area. And it was uh, called A Culture of Heaven. And you know what our new uh, vision statement is, if you remember it? It is to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth. And so I thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, what we have just really come to settled in our hearts as a church body is, uh, is on his heart as well. And uh, we just loved spending time with him Thursday night. He came to one of the house groups. Uh, in fact, that's how uh, we have George in here. Uh, one of his former um, assistants who, who traveled with him for a year, personal assistant, is uh, part of our church and part of the house group ministry here, the young adult house group ministry. And when George had heard about what was happening, he wanted to come and see it. And uh, so he's kind of like an old hippie, I think, you know. Like if you've heard his story, he's from Bulgaria, grew up under communism, um, listening to the radio, listening to illegal stations on the radio, he heard the Beatles. What he said to us uh, the other night was, uh, he was he was raised on uh, Lenin and Lenin's communist uh, communist uh, thinking, and he said I hated Lenin, but he said then I heard of another Lenin, John Lennon, and I really loved him. So by listening to the Beatles in the '60s, he developed a desire for rock and roll music and and started a rock band in Bulgaria, which at that time I think was probably close to illegal, if not outright illegal. Uh, but somehow they became famous, they ended up on TV, and they had this national platform where uh, they were kind of like the rebel group that, were, that would sing their songs about what they didn't like about the nation and what was unjust and, and what was wrong there. And he, he eventually escaped communism in the late 60s, and came to the United States, and he, he may share part of his story with you, how he came to know Jesus through the Jesus movement in California, but just some awesome stuff. I mean, this is a man that, that has a deep heart for God. He has a profound um, life of faithfulness to God and is used in just a profound way. But um, as Lee stated, he's back with our children right now. And we thought it was really worth it for him to take some time and go back and minister to the children 10, 15 minutes back there. He'll be coming back. Um, he'll be coming out here soon. But uh, he, he has such a heart for children. In fact, I asked him uh, on the drive down, I asked him, what did he think was the need of the hour? Uh, you know, what is God doing? What do we need to be alert to? And I thought he was, you know, got to come up with something like, well, there's this spiritual warfare that we need to fight, or we need to teach the church about their identity in Christ, or everyone needs to know more about who God is, or something like that. And he thought about it, and, and his response was, young families. He said, young families, because not because they're more important than those of us whose families are grown, but because it's more strategic, because they have the children still in their homes. 
they have the opportunity to influence them before they have all the crap of life come on them. And, you know, before they become 30 or 40 or 50 year olds that, that have, have experienced so much brokenness that once they come to know Jesus, then the brokenness has to be repaired. And, and so his heart was so much for that. And, and he said, even he said, you know, like I'm 66, I'm, I'm assuming Georgian is somewhere about five years ahead of me. But, um, he even said, he said, you know, our generation, we recognize that. We know that. We have grandchildren. I want my grandchildren to grow up loving Jesus. So, of course, it, you know, all of us can recognize that. And the thing is this, that we have the opportunity to bring these kids up from the time they, they can begin to walk and talk right off, right up into life, loving Jesus, understanding the power and life of the Holy Spirit, understanding how to pray for the sick, understanding the kingdom of God, and we can raise up a force that will change the world. And, and uh, so his heart is so much for that. And that doesn't mean that those of us that are older aren't going to be part of that too. We are. We're all part of it, okay? But... Um, um, I, I loved that. Uh, I loved that challenge that he gave to us, and that emphasis that he brought. But uh, by the way, what's happening here is happening in the children's ministry too. Okay, and um, in fact, last week th- there's one of our children's workers who's had a struggle with cancer, and her cancer had recurred, and she was going in for tests this week to, um, uh, well, just a follow-up test to, after finding out that her cancer had returned. And last week they were praying for her, and after, after the little kids prayed, one of them said, my hands are hot. Now, in case you're not familiar with it, yeah, yeah, give it up for that, yeah. That, that's sometimes one of the ways God will manifest his presence and, and, and indicate, okay, there's healing, healing here. And so Sarah Anderson, our children's pastor, said, well, then you need to pray for her again. Put, lay hands on her and pray for her again. And they did. And she went in for her tests this week and had the scans and everything cancer-free. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, and, and you see, if it's, gonna, if it's happening, then it's going to happen among the children too, okay? And, and so that, that we care so much that it happens there because we want to we we see them. They're not the future church. Obviously, they're the church today. And so, yeah. I can't help but stop right now and make a pitch. I mean, how many of you really would like to be part of helping four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve-year-olds learn about Holy Spirit ministry and learn how to walk with Jesus? Who doesn't want that? Well, we need more people back there, okay? So, ushers, take those names of the people that just raised their hands. Uh, yeah, consider that, because there, there are a dozen people here right now that God's speaking to saying, do it. And I just say, with the Lord, do it. Just don't wait. You know, we heard something very interesting last week in a message. Um, it was a, a woman speaker, Danielle Strickland, who was with the Salvation Army. And she was talking about um, Peter in the book of Acts and how uh, God was called him to go to the household of Cornelius and he lowers, he get, has, Peter has a vision, and the Lord tells Peter, rise up and eat, Peter. 
eat, eat this stuff I'm putting before you. And Peter says, no way, I'm not going to eat that. And it had to happen three times before Peter got the message that, uh, that God, God was giving to him. And then Danielle said, you know, she said, a woman would have just done it right now. She said, Mary, she hears this word. You're going to have a baby. We know, I know you haven't, I know you're not married. I know you've never had sex. You're going to have a baby and it's probably going to mess up a lot of your life, but it's okay because he's going to be the Messiah and et cetera, et cetera. And she immediately responds by saying, sure, let's do it. And um, so her, her point was that uh, oftentimes women have more ready hearts to obey the Lord than men do. But I think all of us want, want to be like Mary, whether you're a man or a woman. We want to be ready just to say yes to Jesus, okay? So Jordan's coming out in, in a few moments, but until he gets here, I'm going to read a verse to you and share something that God's um, really, really kind of opening up to my understanding. And that is when we talk about this idea of heaven on earth, uh, that's kind of like, how does that happen? I mean, how does that happen? And, and what does that mean? And how can, how can I actually engage with that? Because it seems so ethereal and so, so distant and far, far off. But um, there's a verse in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 2. The Apostle Paul uh, writes this. 1 Corinthians 2. He quotes the Old Testament. This is verse 16. And he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Okay, it's an Old Testament quote. No one knows God's mind so well that we would go to God and say, well, God, you're thinking wrong on this. You know, God, I think you need to add this to your thought. You know, you haven't thought of this yet, God. He said, nope, no, no one, no, no one is in a position to do that. But then he goes on, and he makes this statement. But we have the mind of Christ. And in the Greek text, the we is emphasized. And so it is we as believers we have the mind of Christ. Now, what that means is that there, there is the mind of Jesus, which I would typically picture as, I mean, he, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, okay? That's where he is. That's there. I'm here. He thinks his way. I think my messed up way, and I'm trying to learn how to think more his way by reading the Bible and trying to apply it, which we should and is awesome. But what he's saying there is, no, it, it's not like he's way off there. His mind is way off there. We have the mind of Christ. So picture his mind kind of overlapping your mind. And, and so his mind is, is overlapping my mind. And does that make sense? Okay, now it's, it's, it's a picture, it's an illustration, but we have the mind of Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Say that with me, okay? Say, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Again, I have the mind of Christ. All right, now, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, then that's true. And so it's not a matter of me kind of like my mind being here and his mind being there and me kind of like trying to mimic his mind. I have his mind. His mind overlaps my mind. And it's more about me learning how to lean into that, learning how to experience his mind through, through me. And when you really begin to see that, it, it, it puts the whole supernatural aspect of our walk, which our whole walk is supernatural. 
Okay, whether, whether I'm giving food away to the poor or I'm giving a word of knowledge or a prophetic word to somebody or I'm praying for the sick, the whole thing is supernatural. And so it, it, it enables me to, to see how that kind of sinks in, into, my, into my world because his mind overlaps my mind. And really, in a real simple way, you could say that we live in overlapping worlds, you know, we live in this world that we see that is tangible, that we can, we can touch and feel and taste. But we live also in the realm of the heavenlies, the kingdom realm. And, and those both overlap. And you, you don't have to leave one to go to the other. When you come to Jesus, then they overlap in your life. And, and that's how we bring the kingdom into this world, is that I, I am a child of God, I'm a kingdom person, and the Bible says this, that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. So we're seated with Jesus right beside the throne of God, and yet at the same time, I'm standing here. You're sitting there in your chair. You're going to go home this afternoon. You have work to do. You have things to think about. But at the same moment, you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. And those, the, that isn't just a word picture that he gave us to try to help us to, to appreciate how much God's done for us. Like, you could ask someone, how are you doing today? And they might respond by saying, well, I'm on top of the world. Okay, so, well, I'm on top of the world. But, you know, they're not really on top of the world. They're not literally on top of the world. But when Paul says that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ... He's talking about that literally in reality. It is, it is just a settled fact that even though you're here, you are here and you are seated in, in the heavenly realms with Jesus. It's a position of incredible authority and power. And you have the mind of Jesus, which overlaps with your mind. And I find it helpful at times to picture myself... You know, like I'm right here, I'm in the midst of all the difficulties and, and things and challenges. I find it helpful sometimes just to picture myself seated at the, at the throne of God, right beside, you know, right there with Jesus, and, and think, well, okay, how's the perspective of life change when I do that? You know, how, and so what I'm really doing is I'm leaning into the mind of Christ, and I'm saying, okay, when I, when I look at this all from your perspective and somehow that spatial thing in my brain of me thinking of being right there and now I'm looking at the problems of life and the difficulties and the challenges and the opportunities and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, this is how you see this. And, and it enables me then to begin to put on more of that mind of Christ and allow it to, uh, to just to fill my thinking and, and to... Um, enable me then to see things from the mind of Christ. So um, I see that uh, Georgian has entered the room. So you all want to just say hi to him right now, okay? <laughs> we're we're going to give him another minute to get his stuff together here. And um, it's been a delight to have him here. Uh, he, he, he is a man of God. He's humble. He's normal. He's natural. Yeah, and I do say normal because it's, you know, a lot of people that we see, that we hear about, you have a hard time picturing them as being normal. But he's a normal guy uh, and loves Jesus 
and has the heart of God. And I think that's the big thing. I just see the heart of God so that what you and I want to do really with this whole mind of Jesus, mind of Christ, when I really begin to lean into that, that I'm going to start loving the things he loves. And I'm going to start caring about the things he cares about. And I'm going to start, start wanting to just give my life to the things that are important to him. And that's what I see in Georgian. And I know this is going to be a great, great time we have together. Uh, are you ready? Yes. All right. So let's welcome Georgian Banoff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I feel very honored and and a privilege to be here and to uh, to worship together. How many felt the presence of the Lord? Wasn't it wonderful? Oh, you're such a worshipful people, and I, I was with your youth on Thursday, and one of the house churches or several churches put together, and it felt like. Uh, a little bit like the underground church meetings when I was in Bulgaria. I was still communism. Uh, it was a very oppressive, and the churches was persecuted. I didn't know any of that, but uh, you know they kept things secretly. The communists are very, um, you know, controlling and deceitful, and so they wanted to make sure that we, the young people, don't hear about God and don't know about God. So they persecuted the church, and most of the persecuted church was basically the spirit-filled churches because there was the, they were powerful and the communists were afraid of them, so they were heavily persecuted them. But uh, once before I escaped, I had a privilege to visit one of the underground churches. It was a very small house, totally packed, kind of like Thursday night, completely packed with... Uh, People and I was shocked to hear sound of singing because I never heard anybody sing in Bulgaria. It's for a group of people singing, other than professionally, but just singing groups that it's just never, never, never heard that sound. And there they were singing, and and so I was uh, pretty touched by what they were doing, but I, I didn't know what to do, how to connect because uh, I wasn't a believer and. Oh, it was quite an amazing experience. And that really uh, touched my heart in a deep way without understanding what they were doing. But I felt there was something real. So a year later, I escaped. And then I, I found myself to the Los Angeles area where the Jesus movement was still in full strength. I believe the vineyard was started something like that in the 60s, right? From John Wimber and from that Lonnie Frisbee early revival. Am I okay with that? Is that the, the, the yeah, it's, uh, and so it was uh, outpouring the Holy Spirit in the streets, um, heroin addicts, drug addicts, hippies were getting saved and transformed and changed, and the guy that led me to the Lord was a, a druggie himself, so something like $500 a day drug habit, carrying a gun and robbing people, so God, so he got arrested, and in prison, he said that Jesus showed up in the prison cell and delivered him from the drug habit. And uh, sh- shortly after that, he was, rem- he was moved to a, a, uh, 
ministry house, a halfway house, and, and there were believers and they were out in the streets witnessing. So he shared the gospel with me. I, I didn't believe in Jesus, but he kept saying that he saw Jesus in the prison cell. So I was like, whatever. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and a good thing that they, uh, the Lord told them to feed me and they, they had an accurate word of the Lord, word of knowledge. And so they offered me food, and that was very, very smart because, because I liked food. And through food, evangelism, I started to warm up toward the Lord. And my mind kept saying, there is no God, but my belly kept saying, oh, yes, there is, get back in there. <laughs> so <laughs> eventually my stomach prevailed, and, and uh, I, I, uh, I decided to... To give it one chance, actually was headed to Hollywood as part of rock music in Bulgaria. And I wanted to go continue my uh, rock and roll career. But I says, okay, tomorrow I'm leaving. Today I'll give it one chance out of respect for these guys feeding me for two months every night. So, so I went in the mountain. I didn't even know exactly what to say because... You know, there's no God, so what do you do anyway? So, but I just did it out of respect. And I says, what? God do exist is the thought that came to him. I said, that's a good thought. He'll quickly find out he doesn't. So go ahead and say it. And so I did. But as soon as I said, God do exist, I get this feeling of like someone covered me with their blanket or, or, a, or a quilt of some sort. It was like thick and it was around me. And I couldn't even, I couldn't see it, but I could feel it. And even change the acoustics of the area there where I was at and so I was going what is going on I'm going crazy and so the more I talked to this whatever this is the thicker it got the closer it got and, and somehow the fact that there is there is maybe there is a God and maybe this is God it just shot right through me I, I, I collapsed from the discovery I, I fell in the dirt without any catchers and I just <laughs> I just hit the dirt and I started shaking <laughs> and I shook and I shook and I shook. And those people from the underground church, they were shaking, by the way, at certain points. So I started shaking myself. And the power of God was flowing through me. So I kept saying, whatever this is, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know all about God. I want to know everything about God. And uh, it kind of got dark and cold. And so I went down to their house, walked down, knocked on the door. And they open the door and they go, oh, come on in. <laughs> Finally, this Bulgarian got it. And so um, I was just like staggering. I didn't go to the kitchen anymore. I just sat there in the living room as they were worshiping. And I would join them. And I wanted more than food. I wanted to feel what they're feeling. And I wanted to know everything about what they were doing. And, and as they were worshiping, I joined. So then I saw two hands go like that. I couldn't see the full body. I could just see this part of the hand, someone's hands. And, you know, they were the hands of Jesus, very special. And so I just leaned forward, and he put his arms around me and, and gave me a big hug. And I'm still wrapped in his arms. Forty years later, nothing can separate me. Wow. <laughs> His strong arms and nothing can separate us. Amen. Amen. All kinds of difficulties have been. You can imagine life of an immigrant. I went through school. 
similar to Bethel School Supernatural. I am a leader now, me and my wife. And I met, I met her in a school like that. And then eventually we fell in love and we, we got married and uh, started writing songs as, as a young, young believer. Me, and she was helping me with the lyrics. I wrote the music for three songs and all three landed in a little tape for children called The Music Machine. Anybody remember The Music Machine? Really? Let's see if you remember this one. Have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when others have to wait for you. (laughs) Very good. Wow. That was, early, that was middle of the 70s. It was early, early Jesus music. There was hardly any, anything for, nothing for children, really. And then another one we wrote called The Bullfrogs and Butterflies. Bullfrogs and butterflies. They've both been born again. Boom, boom, boom. Bullfrog and butterfly. They've both been born again. And so many others, the, the whole series. And so that was my first... Uh, you know, contribution to the to the body of Christ as a writer, and then we did a, a band for young young adults called Silverwind in, in the eighties. And how many remember this song? I will bless the Lord and give Him glory. Oh, I will bless his name and give him glory. That was one of our songs. And that was the 80s. Some of you weren't even born. <laughs> Anyways, things, things changed, but here we are. Jesus is the same. And now me and my wife started a ministry called Global Celebration. And we literally go around the world and celebrating what Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it's a great privilege to do that. And um, in the U.S., we do conferences and gatherings on weekends. We're going to do one in May up, up north in uh, Columbus with uh, friends of ours, Jim and Mary Baker. And, and uh, so we'd like to invite you. Maybe at the end we could play a little of a, of a DVD and uh, one of the worship bands that we invited is they're called uh, United Pursuit. Anybody remember United Pursuit? Yeah, you, you actually sang several of their songs in the house church the other day. So they're, they're house church uh, band, the house church ministry. And so, anyways, uh, we have some of our friend speakers. Uh, uh, who are we having this time? Patricia King. Anybody know Patricia King? Yeah, extreme prophetic. It's a prophetic conference and uh, a few others. So I'd like to invite you to come. And this is uh, really the reason that I came this weekend to hang around and, and visit my friends, and pastor friends, and then make some other friends like, like uh, Pastor Van and, and you guys are beautiful. So it's exciting because the best is yet to come. There's a huge revival coming, huge soul-winning revival coming, 
and and uh, so this is the time to prepare as fathers and mothers because because uh, the kingdom of God is family and takes moms and dads to model the kingdom of God. So y'all get ready because there'll be tons of uh, orphans coming in the spirit and want to be adopted into the family of God. Come on. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, also, we, we have uh, great uh, compassion for, for children. My, uh, I grew up without a father, and I know what it's like. So, um, so we, we are connecting with children. We have over 500 children that now we consider our own orphans. They were orphans. Now they are children, and we support them every day. It's the Lord, really, but we're just saying, yes, Lord. And uh, my wife's passion is about garbage dump communities. If I let her, she'll go to a garbage dump every single day. She actually buys a ticket for around the world and visits garbage dumps, one garbage dump to another. This is amazing. I go as well. I honestly wouldn't go without her, but because she's my wife, I go. Uh, because it's, it's difficult for me to handle such poverty. It's just below human level, people eating from the trash. It's just simply wrecks my heart but uh, um, she loves go visiting and she doesn't just uh, visit she wants to do something um, sometimes it's just a glass of water or a bottle of water or or uh, gloves or something and if there is enough uh, help locally she likes to do a food feeding and she doesn't just want to give food but she wants to give it in a nice way so uh, she asked for people to help and bring china and silverware because paper and plastic, what they do for recycling. So she wants to bring uh, real china. And uh, uh, one of the closest outers here is in Tijuana. So if anyone wants to join us in November, we go there. And, uh, and so, so this time she says, honey, it's good that we're bringing China and, and uh, silverware, but there's no place to sit. And I, I, I don't like them sitting in, in a garbage dump. And I like, I like to bring tables. So I says, honey, how can you bring tables for 300 people or 500 people? I mean, this is this enormous task. I can't even uh, imagine how they... I don't say that. I'm just thinking like that. So I'm just... <laughs> I'm looking at her like... Try not to roll my eyes, and I go, oh, tables, okay. Okay, well, Lord, you know, when he wants tables. <laughs> so, before you know it, tables appeared. Not just tables, but even different size tables, and especially even small tables for two people. And, and then, she doesn't just want tables, but she puts, like, a white cloth on them, and then a, a, a table runner, and then... Uh, fresh cut flowers and candles. So it's basically a five star restaurant on the atmosphere on the very garbage dump. So you can imagine, and then people would come and they're in disbelief because we treat them so nice, and then we serve uh, with uh, black and white, dressed in black and white, like waiters and musicians doing serenading. And it's <clears throat> very romantic. And uh, and so this couple, uh, 
is uh, sitting down, and I went to talk to them a little bit. The gal spoke a little English, so I says, uh, are you married? And she says, no, we've lived together for six years, but we're not, not married. And I says, how come? She's, she goes, like, talk to the guy kind of thing. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I go, hey, what's up, man? You've, you've lived with this lady for six years. Obviously, you love her. Why don't you get married? And uh, so he goes, well, I just can't see how I can start a family in a garbage dump. And I go, well, that's, that I've, I, I know what you mean, but you know what? God loves marriages, so if you get married, you know, maybe God can help you get out and bless you. So he goes, maybe. So I go, well, do you want to get married like right now? <laughs> he goes, why not? You know, so both of them say, sure. So the table becomes her dress, her gown, and the runner becomes her veil. And just the whole thing, the flowers, they gather flowers from all tables, so it became a huge bouquet. And then two rings appears. Uh, people that, one, one, one of the rings was actually the Lord told this lady from New York City to take a ring and bring it. So it was there's this ring with some diamonds on it, and then a ring for him. And so we talked to them that first, first that we, before we say our vows, we give our life to Jesus so that he could keep us married and bless us. And so they gave their life to Jesus, and then they say, yeah, I do, and we sang, and we got married. Yay! <laughs> These are the spontaneous things that we do. Uh, we just returned from Israel, which is a, a whole other world, and we don't just go to uh, sit in buses and listen to the tour guides, which we've done the first time, but then we want to do something. So, so Lord, Lord what, I want to do something for Israel. I hear so many stories, and what can we do? So the Lord opened the door to local missionaries to go inside Bethlehem at the refugee camp. Uh, there's three camps, Three refugee camps were displaced from different places, so in these camps. The, the one is a very large camp, about 11,000 people, the largest camp in Israel. So we go inside. I mean, the fact that we wanted to go inside is, is, a, is a crazy idea. The, the leader of the camp says, you're crazy. And I go, yes, I'm crazy. I'm crazy for Jesus, and my Jesus loves you people. And so, so take us there. So somehow... He takes us in, which is the very first time that uh, foreigners, outsiders, have ever come inside. And, of course, we're not just foreigners. We're worshipers. And so we bring instruments and flags and streamers and dancing and, and brought some food. Food is always important to bring. Yeah, helps always. So we bring food and give away food. But meanwhile, we're releasing the praises of Jesus and we worship. And this is never done before in that in that camp so we come out next day we go to the jordan river at the time where jesus was baptized at the time was a border crossing you couldn't just go there now they have opened it recently but at the time uh, he had to escort with military escort so we we had arrangement through friends to get military escort so we're going there and we worship the lord right where jesus was baptized when the with the israel army crossed Jordan with the water parted and then Elijah crossed, uh, hit the water again and then Elisha came. So three times at that place if the, the, uh, the 
water has part. It's this very intense place when you see it. And think about all this and become alive. So we're worshiping. The whole spirit falls on, on, on the whole group. And so we, at the end, we're leaving, and we're packing our gear, and we're the last of the musicians we're packing. And the, the military, the, the, the commander of the, the team, is talking to me, and he says, uh, you know, we're really aware of what you're doing. What you just did yesterday in the refugee camp, we surveil, and we know what you're doing. And I go, really? He says, yeah. And we were very surprised how you changed everything in the camp. He says, what do you mean change everything? Well, you went in. And he came out. Wow. I go, really? Is it that dangerous? I didn't realize that. He says, no one has ever done that. But he says, I got to tell you, I surveilled this camp. And I have never seen in my three years of keeping that camp. Because that's where the terrorists come from that camp. That's why the whole Bethlehem is walled with walls higher than even this. Because of the violence. It's so close to Jerusalem. Bethlehem is. So, so they have walled the city. And it's like a checkpoint, like a crossing a border. So, um, anyways, he says, we surveil and we just keep, keep the trouble from coming out. But I've never seen in three years surveilling one single smile until you guys went in with your crazy music and whatever you're doing. And you, I saw people smiling for the first time. So, uh, we've been going there since. And uh, beside, uh, we always ask if we could give something to the widows. And so the first year we went, and they allowed us to gather the widows, around 100 widows. Uh, they were completely covered. These are Muslim widows. Some of them are terrorist widows. So they were completely covered. All you can see is just a little bit of their eyes. And we said, before we can give the food to them, can we sing a song to them? And the leader goes, okay, sing a song. So we sing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. And just as we feel right now, the presence of God fell upon all of us and the widows, the, those face cloth became wet. And that was the first uh, touchdown with the, with the widows. And since then, 10 years later, uh, we go every year. And this year, as, we walk in, as we're walking to the widows, and they're all excited, they're, they're, they're ready for us. And we start singing songs. They... they n- n- only one of them had veil. Every one of them had taken their faces off. They're showing us their faces. They're smiling. And if you could believe that, dancing. The leaders of the camps are shaking their head and go, only you could do this, George. And only, that's the only reason we let you come because of the widows, the way they respond to you. We can't understand it because in a Muslim culture, widows do not dance. It's totally, totally opposite. But, but God shows up. And, and they allow us to pray for them. Because they know that Jesus, even in the Quran, is a healer. So we just uh, kind of flow with their culture. We don't preach uh, Jesus is a, is a savior. But we, 
we talk about him as a healer. Do you, do you have any wounds, any, any hurts, any pain? And, and I remember the first time we asked that, they're staring at us. It says, anybody have any pain? Because Jesus is here to heal. They're, they're looking at us. Finally, one stood up and says, we're all sick, man. What do, you, what do you think? We don't have a doctor in the whole camp. Like, we're all sick. <laughs> like, okay, we'll pray for you. So our lady's praying for them, and, and they begin to get healed, and the pain starts to go. So they're expecting. They already know that, and so they're ready. And then we give them a little sharing how special they are because they're widows, and, and, and God thinks them very, very much so. They, and, uh, and we think of you, and we pray for you, and we look forward to every year. And so just amazing, just amazing, describable situations happening. I mean, we are Americans. We are not. We're supportive of Israel. Israel is their trouble. So we're just completely changing all the animosity, you know. And, uh, and so that's, that's uh, kind of our mission. And it's still tense. Uh, last year, as we were pulling out of the, one of the refugee camps, there was tear gas so, so close to us that they were trying to, the Israeli was arresting somebody. I mean, the tear gas went inside our bus, actually. It was that, there's still tension. But when we come in ourselves, there's peace and because the relationship and the trust level is so, so, so huge, unexplainable. So this year, we're pulling out from Tel Aviv. I mean, from Bethlehem, and we are on the way to Tel Aviv. And God has opened a hospital, uh, one of the hospitals where has Israeli wounded soldiers. So we go there, and we pray for them and do amazing things. Throw food parties for them and, and, and have fun. And so here we are, we walk in a foyer about this size, and we're about 95 of us with several guitars and worship instruments and violins and so we're singing, the presence of God is filling the place. Soldiers are in the middle with wheelchairs, summer crutches and everything, and nurses and staff. And so it's a one big joy party is there. And, and, a, and, a, and a, I mean, we do it every year that we have a Jewish uh, volunteer lady who helps us with that. And she's, she's the one that is our door there. Our, our, so her name is Sarah. So Sarah is excited. And then comes this uh, man uh, walking, and apparently he's uh, no, no legs, and he's coming for treatment. But he's not just ordinary uh, Israeli. He is a former general of the SEALs of the Israeli army, the special forces. And so it happened to be in this day. He comes twice he comes 12 times a year for a treatment, and this happened to be his time for therapy. And here we are, and he's looking at this whole thing, and he says, what is going on? And I go, we're just having fun with the soldiers, and he says, I can see that, but I can see the faces of love on you. Could you please come to the healthy soldiers and show the faces of love to them too? And I'm going... Like thinking next year maybe, and he says no right now. <laughs> go really? Like no red tape, just just now, right now, going in and without any check, right now. Show the faces of love to the healthy soldiers. So I go, Sarah, what should we do? He says, if he's inviting you, go. <laughs> okay, okay. So here we are. We're getting in the buses, and. 
I'm with him in the car and bears come up and here we are in the Israeli army in the base not not far in the, in the, in, in Tel Aviv base and we're walking in a, a little auditorium and they're bringing the soldiers as the soldiers come in we're standing ovation we're cheering them we love them and they're fully armed but yet they're timid and you know because of the display of love and <clears throat> so uh, joy exploded at the end, we're doing a fire tunnel. And so they're going with all their guns, everything, they're firing. We're blessing them and loving on them. <laughs> and and uh, just amazing. The, our little ladies are hugging the soldiers, kissing them. It's just an awesome experience. And so uh, I go, okay, so we're leaving. So would you come to lunch with us? I'm asking the general. His name is David. And he goes, no, I'm busy and I live far away. And... Uh, uh, where is your lunch? And I says here in Tel Aviv somewhere, but uh, I'm not sure exactly. But no, no, I, I live far, far away, close to an hour away from here. So I got I got to go home. And so I says, no, you should join us for lunch. And so he says, okay, where exactly is the lunch? So he's asking a tour guide. Guess what? The the lunch is not in Tel Aviv. It was actually scheduled an hour away from there, exactly in his hometown. Come on, somebody. And, and here we are driving. I'm, I'm, I'm in, with his car driving, and as we're coming up to this mountain range, he says, see this mountain range here? This is where Joshua commanded the moon and the sun and won the war. And he says, right to the right is our biggest army base. It's where we are training, and it's a strategic point. You can see both Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. You know, and he says, next year when you come, we're going to go there and we're going to do a huge barbecue. <laughs> come on. Whoa. He is, uh, I don't know if you're, any of you are old enough to remember, there was a big hostage takeover, uh, airplane hostage situation. And, and, and they found out there was Israeli citizen. So the Israeli dispatched a fighter plane uh, to go there, and there was only one casualty on the Israeli side. It was uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's brother, Yanni, or something like that. Uh, that was under the command of this general, this whole operation. You know, I mean, the guy is just... In fact, Benjamin Netanyahu was under, under his command as well. So, so uh, yet he saw the faces of love. Come on, somebody. Jesus. And so we have now open door for Israeli army. I'm so excited. Yet we come out of the other side into the West Banks where the struggle is. So the Lord is building a bridge between the two sides because we carry the ministry of reconciliation. Come on, somebody. Wow. So, Lord, we just, we just thank you for the giving us the power of reconciling and bringing the faces of love in both sides, Lord, and showing your love and showing your care. And we just, really, we just pray for peace in Israel. We pray for peaceful resolution of the conflict, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us 
the power. Let us see it even this year, Lord. Let us see an end of, 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 of casualties, of rockets, and end of war in Jesus' name supernaturally. Do it, Lord. We ask you and use us, Lord, to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, time is kind of fast, so I just don't want to overdo. One of my mentors was John uh, or, or Austin. He's gone with the Lord, but he was like a dad to me. He said, George, you remember this. Blessed are those who preach short, they'll be invited again. <laughs> so I learned from that. So I, I would love to share, and uh, maybe tonight we'll do more, be a little more relaxed, and uh, we can do more sharing. I have a wonderful news. I have wonderful, fresh word. Uh, uh, I have studied the Reformation and just uh, I'm, I have tremendously good news. So uh, if, you, if you're hungry for more, please come tonight at 6 o'clock, right? Something like that, 6 o'clock. So we'll have worship. We'll play the violin. We'll have joy. And we'll have signs and wonders, miracles and healings. Woo! Whoa, more Lord. More Lord, more Lord. More healing, more miracles tonight, Lord. We honor you. Woo! And I just uh, going to finish with showing you a most beautiful uh, little video that shares our passion with the children. I am raising support together with prayer and agreement and faith and those of you who want to financially support, uh, I want us to rise together as fathers and mothers and say no more child trafficking. No more. has to end. And so only we, the body of Christ, can do it. You know, And we have the authority because we were orphans and Jesus adopted us. We're no longer sinners rotten to the core, but we have, we have sons and daughters and saints filled with Jesus in the core. And we're the only ones that have authority to say no more. So I just want to invite you to consider, as you're viewing this, every child, many of them are from, there's three ways of being child slaves and abused. One is sex slave, slavery. Then there's child soldiers. And you're going to see some of, some of these. We have that Burmese, they have a little, little uh, makeup, unique kind of a, makeup on their faces, brown. You can see that the Burmese kids, we have a, 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 three orphanages in Burma. Burma has the largest child army, one nation, the largest child army in one nation, over 50,000 children carrying machine guns from 8 to, you know, 12, 15 years old. So we had the privilege to be able to rescue many of them, and so we have uh, child soldiers, six legs, and then forced labor. This is the third, the three way, the three significant way that children get abused. But every one of them is safe and in safety. And there are children, in fact, three of our children, if you see, uh, some of them will be Indian. You can tell they're Indians. And three of our Indian orphans are now in college. Two, one for nurse, one for doctor, and one for management, financial management. So we're raising the leaders of tomorrow. Come on, sir.
Millions of children around the world today have their childhood stolen due to extreme poverty. Thirsty, hungry, and vulnerable, they're at risk of being exploited and abused. In Southeast Asia, more children than anywhere else on the planet are forced into grueling, dangerous conditions, trafficked as child soldiers, slave laborers, and prostitutes. Can you imagine if this nightmare becomes the reality of your child? Neither could we. As Winnie and I travel from village to village around the globe, third world statistics become faces. Before too long, we know them by name. As they grab our hands, they capture affection. Our hearts just grow and grow. So does our vision. That's how it all began. Before you know it, we're sponsoring hundreds of children globally. In India alone, over 18 million children make a living on the streets, and many of them are taken as slaves and prostitutes. We started the Bliss House, and now we have 40 children in our care, safely rescued from the streets and garbage dump where we found them. In Thailand, one-third of all prostitutes are children, many of whom are kidnapped and trafficked from Cambodia. These children are aching to know real love. So we build a home for them and to grow and to heal. We also sponsor one rescue operation each month from Thailand, bring home trafficked children. In Burma, children as young as eight years old are forced to fight in tribal armies. I carried AK-47 when I was in the Bulgarian army. And I know that that gun does not belong around a child's neck. And so now we're working to create more safe houses for these little soldiers to become children once again. These are the ways we fight for justice, to protect the children and provide them with opportunity to change their world. And that's where you come in. The cost to fully meet the need of one child is $100 a month. An amazing amount when you consider the greatness of its impact. This is a call to arms in a battle against injustice. The children have the power to change the world, but you and I have the power to help them do it. If we can reach a child at this age and help them realize their identity as son and daughter, it's not too long before their smiles return, their innocence restored, and their hopes and dreams start to become a reality. This is how we bring the culture of heaven to earth, raising up future leaders that will transform their nations. We may not be able to rescue every child at risk right now, but we believe that if we partner together, we can rescue the one, and another one, and another one. Boy, uh, don't you want to put your heart where God's heart is 
And uh, I mean, financially too, we want to put our money where God's heart is. And this is an opportunity to do that. Uh, Before I go further, I'm going to say worship team, come on out, okay? I think we need to sing one more song before we end tonight, today. But um, uh, Georgian has uh, uh, 10 orphanages in a number of different countries with 500 children in them. And in Burma, they just had the opportunity to take in 50 more child soldiers. And some of the child soldiers don't make it as child soldiers and... And so they're kind of spit out of that system. And um, Georgian said, even though they really don't have the resources to do it, how can they turn them down? But um, we're going to receive an offering right now that uh, we want to give totally. Everything that's received right now will go entirely to the orphanages and to supporting the children. And so you can make checks out to Vineyard Church Northwest. We will cash the checks. Then we'll give one check to Georgian before he leaves. But um, any cash that goes in this will also be um, given to the support of the children in the orphanages. Now, um, we'll receive an offering again tonight. So if you didn't really come prepared right now, that's okay. Yeah, ushers, come on down. Okay, come on down. And, um, and we will um, uh, we'll receive an offering again then. And then if you want to connect... And, and George and I were just talking. I think there might be a blending of hearts here, our church with him and what he's doing. And uh, this could become a long-term partnership. But if, yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you, wanna, if you just personally want to learn more, globalcelebration.com, okay? We're going to have this information uh, all put in the program for next week. But uh, right now, I'm going to pray. Let's just be generous, okay? Let's just be... I, th- I think, God, for some of us, you're, you, have the, you have this notion, you're thinking, I should just empty my wallet. If you're thinking that, then do it. Some of you are thinking, yeah, maybe I, I have an extra $100 on my checking account, or two, or five, or a thousand. Maybe I had to give that. If you're thinking that, then, yeah, you should. You just say yes to that and do it. And I want to tell you, even if it's just your thought, God's going to honor your heart and your blessing in your giving. So, uh, Father God, we're thankful for how much you love us. Thank you. Thank you that you love the children of this world. And Jesus, thank you for your incredible goodness and your love for the children. And we just pray for all children around the world for freedom, and especially these 500, 550 now in uh, Georgian's orphanages, bless them with your presence and your provision, just an outpouring of your love, and provide God for them. Thank you that we get to be part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so they're going to pass the basket, and as it goes past you, you can stand up, and uh, we'll end today with worship, okay? Nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing could compare your our living hope. 
Fill the atmosphere Your glory 